right. Welcome, everyone, to a, another episode of How I Met Your Mortgage. As always, I'm your host, Adam Smith, with Just the Tips Coaching. And yes, you guys would normally be used to us having our marketing director and one of our other coaches, Jen Waybor, with us. But Jen is actually meeting with one of our coaching clients on short format video today in Salt Lake City, Utah. So she is enjoying the spectacular scenery there. And has left me to my own devices. So we'll see how this goes, gang. But we have a really cool guest for you guys today, somebody that we have had hoped to have on the show for a long, long time now. We've been watching and following and studying hell, let's just call it stalking. So welcome to the show at Vivi Gloria. Hey, Vivi. Hello. How are you this morning? Busy. We uh, got to catch up for a minute before going live, but I gather that you're always busy. Um, I typically, yeah. M Monday mornings are always a little crazy. Yeah, that's a big deal for us as well. We know it's not easy to carve this kind of time out on a Monday morning. So thank you for that. And I'm sure I'll gush about it a little bit more as we wrap up our broadcast here. But our general MO for our audience, mostly people that would consume our content here at Just the Tips, real estate agents, mortgage originators, some other direct-to-consumer salespeople that deal in large ticket items like financial planners and real estate agents. And hopefully we can give all of you something really cool here from the mouth of Vivi. But Vivi, give us a little bit of background. How long have you been doing this? How did you get into it? What did it look like at the beginning when you first started in real estate? Um, first started <laughs> in real estate. I was an engineer student, civil engineering at University of Texas. I uh, got an internship for the summer after my junior year with a builder in Colorado Springs. I had sold uh, 12 homes in two months. He had sold 13 homes in two and a half years. So he got on his hands and knees and begged me to stay, um, literally. And so I finished school at University of Colorado at night and I finished out that uh, project in Colorado Springs and that kind of springboarded my um, real estate career. That's an interesting start. That is definitely a unique one. And you were young, young college student. At the time. I was. Yeah. Wow. And I, you know, it's interesting. I, I really love math and science and um, I really thought I would be an engineer. Uh, but when I got into real estate, what I realized was I could still use my math and my science, but I really love people. And so I remember calling my dad, crying my eyes out after my junior year because they showed me all these jobs I could have as a civil engineer. And it was kind of in a room and just studying numbers. And I was like, this is not what I want to do. And he was like, don't worry about it. Just get your degree in engineering. You'll sell airplanes. But I ended up selling houses. That's okay. And selling houses is fantastic stuff. But now you've yeah. got me curious. Give me some examples of where you're applying your math and science background into your real estate career. Um, I mean, math is the universal language. So, sure. you know, I, I think math is how everything is designed. I mean, that's how you figure out what a home is actually worth. You know, a lot of people just throw a dart and hope and pray that I'm... <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty particular about uh, how things will appraise, what things are worth, how to market things properly. So I, I and I use I use my engineering background, too, because I really I really go through a home prior to inspection for my buyers, you know, just 
checking for things like asbestos and, you know, electric panels and water heaters. And, you know, I, I want my buyer to be as prepared as possible before going under contract and before paying for an inspection. So I, I feel like all of that helps. Well, and it sounds like a lot more fun than sitting in a room or a cubicle by yourself as a civil engineer right. doing maths, <laughs> doing all the maths. Right. Okay. Very cool. And what? where did your real estate career take you after you left this builder's operation? So my, I ended up being a stupid 23-year-old and getting married to a very bad guy. Uh, and so I ended up running Homes Illustrated, the real estate publications. Sure. And I got rid of my real estate license at that point because my husband at the time had his real estate license and didn't want to compete with me. Um, so I ran Homes Illustrated for years. And then when I finally got divorced, I was a single mom, two kids in diapers. Uh, my divorce was final in 2008. I was working three full-time jobs, trying to keep my mortgage that my ex-husband didn't want to pay while he was living in the house. I kept paying the mortgage, kept working. And then in 2009, I was like, I've got to do something different. And so I ended up getting my real estate license and hit the ground running again. Wow. Okay. That's an interesting transition for sure. Um, yeah. But congratulations, everybody needs a starter spouse. <laughs> Absolutely. <So> no, no <laughs> problem there. Uh, we are certainly sympathetic. And when you basically picked your license back up and started getting back into real estate, it was all relatively new. The people you had worked with were buying uh, new construction homes in this one particular project. And were they part of a contact database? I mean, how did you really ramp up. And I know that we're never going to have enough time to talk about the hills that you've climbed to get where you're at now. So we'll get you back for another episode. But you've come a long way, kiddo, as it were. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, that was really the bottom of the market. And so um, I really like marketing. I uh, ended up moving into a community is a historic baker. Um, I ended up sure. buying a townhome. It was a foreclosure. My boys and I literally took sledgehammers to walls and completely remodeled it. And I fell in love with the neighborhood. Um, so what ended up happening was I started creating a monthly flyer about the neighborhood with uh, active under contracts and solds and what was going on in the neighborhood. And um, my boys and I would basically go door to door in Historic Baker every month and deliver the flyer. And, you know, God was good. I, off my first flyer, I got my first listing in Historic Baker and I just kept taking every dollar that I made. I paid my bills and I put it back into the business. That is really cool. And for those of you that are outside of our market, and now I even know a little bit more about Vivian, where she has been uh, physically location, um, she is speaking about a historic district in uh, the city limits of Denver, and uh, known as the Baker District. And it was a little different than I'm gathering than when I spent time in the Baker District in, oh, what was probably 1979 or 80, now dating myself. Well, yeah. and uh, Denver started integrating the schools by bus. So every day for what was probably 60 or 90 minutes round trip, Denver bussed me from Southmore to the Baker District, whatever that school is at 3rd and Allotte. And uh, I apparently spoke more Spanish and Korean than English that year. 
I, yeah. I was a polyglot, I guess, but it was the uh, catalyst for my parents deciding that oh, a couple further miles south in the Greenwood Village was going to be uh, <laughs> the ticket for there. So, yes, the regentrification of a lot of the historic neighborhoods in Denver. And maybe it sounds like you were present when a lot of that started. In fact, you were swinging the sledgehammer yourself to help start regentrifying some of these Denver historic neighborhoods. So that's really, really cool. Um, and in this realm of how far you've come, tell us about what it looks like now, because we obviously watch a lot of agents that are Team Vivi. I mean, you've built a pretty significant operation, a business. How many agents are you dealing with? What does your support staff look like? Tell us what today's snapshot is. Um, I really don't have very many. I only have two other agents with me. Um, okay. I don't really want a lot of agents because you lose quality control. Um, so we're a boutique service uh, that is just very high level. So I have two full-time stagers. All of my homes get staged. I have full-time marketing director. I have full-time transaction coordinator. So the transaction coordinator, you know, crosses the T's, dots the I's, make sure we don't miss any dates. Um, and and then my two other agents, Philip Talley, he's my right hand. Philip and I work very closely together. Uh, we kind of share a brain and clients. If I, if I can't be at a house, he'll be at a house uh, showing it. That way we always have somebody available to show a buyer at any time. Uh, and then I have a, another agent, Allison Kaufman. She just joined me. She's Got a great personality. She's uh, only been in the business for a couple of years, but I think she's going to be awesome. So it, there's really kind of an equal parts when it comes to personnel, although that's a shitty term for it, um, to sales, the three of you, and operations, there are four of you. But mm. there's... Let me think about that. So I've got, I also have an inside sales associate, so he calls. Okay. Um, so I, I have... I have about one and a half times more support staff. So I think I've got nine people total on my team. So yeah. Okay. That's a very similar structure to what goes on at my mortgage operation. A couple of loan originators. Uh, yeah, probably double or triple that. Uh, maybe half a dozen people when it comes to operations. Right. And yeah, it's, uh, well, we talk a lot about team structure and what we do at just the tips and how to build ops and sales simultaneously and that you, you can't have one without the other and that they have to go hand in hand because you have to be able to take good care of your clients. You can always market more and prospect more and lead gen more and solicit more and build up sales. But if you can't take care of those clients, if you don't have the operations team in place to take care of those clients, take good care of those clients, it's all for naught because you're handing out bad experiences. And right. you guys obviously aren't. Uh, I can't say that I've ever come across something where a client had something bad to say about you or Team Vivi. So, and we certainly do our share of stocking. So obviously bodes very well for making sure that people have an understanding of how those two pieces have to be hand in hand, have to be built simultaneously, that you can't let one exceed the other. Obviously you can't let operations sit around twiddling their thumbs. Absolutely. So you have I to have salespeople to, to supplement that. Right. I, I don't even know how any agent does it that's alone. Um, I, you know, no one is going to be amazing at marketing and 
knowing the real estate market and negotiating and contract writing. And, you know, it's like, it's too many hats. And so it's you've like got to six figure, jobs. Yeah. You got to figure out what you're good at. And while I'm good at all of those things, I'm best with people and negotiating and helping people either get the price they want out of their home or helping buyers make good investment choices. Cause I do feel like 20% of the houses out there in Denver, Colorado, you shouldn't touch with a 10 foot pole. And I let my buyers know that my buyers will send me a house and be like, I love this. And I'm like, you can't buy this house. And here's why. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. No, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> yeah, let, let me tell you why you don't. And yeah, that may be, there is some accuracy to that. One out of five seems like a steep number, but as I think about it, there's probably there's a lot of dogs lot of out there. To that. Yeah. yeah. So where does the business come from? I mean, at this point, at this stage, I've, Got to assume it's strictly repeat and referral for you. Um, not completely. I mean, I would say 80% of my business is referral or past client. Um, and then 20% though, people still find me, whether it's Google or, and, you know, I still, I still do my update in Baker where I send everybody <laughs> every you know, month they get all the actives under contracts and sold for the month and kind of what's happening. And so I still do advertising, um, still send out, you know, like every listing, I get my home staged, I get it professionally cleaned. I send out an open house postcard to everybody in the neighborhood because 48%, well, this is the stat, 48% of people that live in a neighborhood knows somebody who wants to live in the neighborhood. So I do end up getting some business from that. As well. Okay, that's that's brilliant. And I don't know in, gosh, where are we at here? Six years of doing this and a lot of our guests are real estate agents. I don't know that I've actually had anybody give us the algorithm, as it were, what those statistics are and what the motivation is behind it for soliciting a home to the neighborhood. I think the general gut reaction, and mine certainly was too, is that well, why would I market a neighborhood with a listing in their neighborhood. They already live there. They're not going to move. They're not going to make a lateral move. But when we put the two and two together and realize that these people all know tons of people and absolutely there's somebody who has wanted to live in that neighborhood or wants to be their neighbor or whatever. It's brilliant. Um, yep. And I'm not saying that it's uncommon. Uh, I just don't think that anybody has ever explained the math, the engineering right. to us when it came to why you should do that. That is a really significant nugget. Thank you. Sure. That's good stuff. Um, and what does that look like for the rest of your team? Do they do marketing and lead gen in other environments, other methods? I, yeah, we do. I mean, we're, we're big open house people. Okay. Um, and so I would say 25% of the time, um, my, my buyers will, or my sellers will end up getting an offer from someone who came to the open house. I think agents that don't do open houses are crazy. Um, I think, you know, it's all about exposure. How much exposure can you get your listing? And exposure requires people to actually walk in the door. And so the more people you can get to walk in the door, the more opportunity you'll have to get the home sold for the price that your seller's looking for. Oh, no question. I mean, there are 
a list of reasons that we could come up with why doing open houses is beneficial for the property, for the seller, for whoever's holding the open house. We come across a lot of agents that are doing open houses when the listing isn't even theirs. There are all kinds of great techniques and tactics for, well, uh, collecting names, numbers, and email addresses, building your audience. I mean, like you said, exposure. There's even a degree of branding that goes in with that. And yeah, if you're not taking advantage of those kinds of opportunities as a real estate agent, and even those of you that are mortgage professionals, if you're not doing some of this work hand in hand, helping out your real estate agents with this kind of stuff, please, I mean, just great opportunities to build relationships, build your database, build your audience on and on, on both sides of that coin. Yeah. The, mindset of not wanting to do them or not doing them, I consider an inherent failure, as long as you're yeah. doing them correctly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that there's a lot of, a lot of value in that. And yeah, I am disappointed that I don't see more of it. And every now and then I always get a little, uh, you know, confused puppy dog look when somebody says, no, my sellers don't want to do open houses. Yeah. I mean, and during COVID, it was really hard, you know, yeah. I mean, Open houses were hard, but I still encourage people to do them. And um, and now it's finally getting normal again. So like when I do my open house, like I have champagne and I have beer and I have Capri Suns and I have cookies. And, you know, the whole concept is, is if you can get people to come into your home and consume food. They'll have more of a, an attachment to the house. And so it's this whole thing with the open house. It's like come in, try to get them to have I, it's I always base my success of an open house and how many bottles of champagne I was able to get through. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, and who doesn't like beer and cookies? I mean, right. come on. <laughs> you, you must have something really wrong with you. Although maybe not at a, a 10 a.m. open house. I might uh, pass on the cookies anyway. Yeah, I normally do one to three. <laughs> Very cool. All right. And how many do you think you're doing? What kind of volume are you? You're doing an open house every week? Yes. Wow. That is really dedicated. I think one of the biggest things, and I actually just recently finished doing some writing on uh, sales mindset. And one of the things that we talk about really heavily are constancy and consistency. And if you are making that kind of constant, consistent workload out of a single technique or tactic like open houses. And this is true of anything. And I tell everybody, I'm never going to judge you for how you want to do your lead gen. I'm only going to judge you if you don't do it. And I'm a reminiscent of a young guy that we coached years ago who said he wanted to do door knocking. I said, great. Not something I would do, but by all means, again, if you're constant and consistent about it. And he says, I'm going to do four hours every Saturday. Cool. That's great. And after four weeks, a month, he came back to me and said, well, that didn't work. I was like, dude, you, you did 16 hours. That's like one work day in the life of a new agent. Right. Tell me it sucked. Tell me you hated doing it, but don't tell me it didn't work. If you did four hours every Saturday for a year, I guarantee you that would work. So along those same kinds of lines, if you can generate the kind of constancy and consistency in your workload, in your life, in your lead gen, that is the same kind of thing that has Vivi doing an open house every week here, guys, every week. You're going to see results. You're going to get rewarded for your efforts out of that kind of thing. But Vivi, I think you're right. I think there are a lot of agents that don't want to do it, don't want to commit the time. They're 
lazy. They got into the business thinking it would be easy. I'm mm -hmm. going to uh, have a flexible schedule and I'm going to spend all this time with my kids and I'm going to make a ton of money. Yeah. I, no. One of my things is consistency creates credibility. And so, you know, if you, if you can't be consistent, you might as well just not Hang do it. Hang it up. Yeah. Go sit in the cubicle and crunch numbers. Right. Yeah. yeah. Although you got to be consistent there too. I think that it's being consistent is a really important piece of your workload, your life load, your relationship load, how you are as a spouse, as a parent, as an employer, as an employee. I think that kind of, I don't want to say it's a trick because it's not all that difficult but yeah just being constant and consistent in the things you do are really really valuable so you brought up the pandemic and i think that that was an interesting time what kind of an impact did that have on your business obviously open houses were unique or different or difficult yeah. what did you pick up other activities techniques tactics to supplement the lack of activity with open houses you know, I think I was, you know, I, I think we were all kind of felt differently about the pandemic. I mean, when it first started, I was like weirded out and like Cloroxing my, you know, boxes from Costco and, and uh, we closed our office for two whole days. And then, you know, our job is as realtors to make sure people aren't homeless and make sure people do have homes and make sure people are making good decisions. And so after two days of having my office closed, I called everybody in and I said, we're going to stay open. We're going to keep our doors open and we're going to continue to work. You know, if you don't want to do it, if you're afraid, you know, I understand, you know, I can furlough you. But everyone on the team said, no, we want to work. And so we went to the office every day and we were consistent and we were open and we continued to, you know, pound the pavement with our clients. I mean, weirdly, COVID, uh, I had my best year ever in uh, 2021 because um, I didn't I didn't fold in and just stay home and afraid. I I still got out there and and worked. Other than those two days, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, we certainly made some adjustments to our workload, but office was open every day. Yep. Um, and yeah, you just have to keep going. And yeah, 2020 and 2021 were um, significantly important years in real estate, in mortgages, so on and so forth. And I think one of the things that's probably a byproduct of what you guys did then and what it made happen in 22 and now in 23 is that same kind of constancy and consistency. And we talk about this on a grander scale when it comes to the general attitude of what goes on in real estate and mortgages and how many people, how many of us think that Thanksgiving to New Year's is a hollow month and we're not active in our lead gen. We're not doing the things that we need to be constant and consistent with, which is why we think winter slows down for real estate. Then we start doing our lead gen work because we have time. And then all of a sudden spring is busy and we associate that with the seasons and summer is busier. And then because we're so busy in spring and summer, we're still not being constant and consistent in the things we need to ensure that that business carries through into the fall and into the winter. And there's this horrible cycle in the industry for so many agents, which creates this roller coaster ride of work 
of income, of commissions, so on and so forth. And it just pains me to watch agents do this every year. And you're kind of describing it in a microchasm of sorts over just that, you know, two, three, four year period where remaining consistent and constant in an odd year or two has made sure that you were able to propel in the third and fourth and subsequent years. And I think that that lends to that constant, consistent mindset type of practice. I just, I think that we see an awful lot of it and always have even pre-pandemic. And I think that that speaks volumes about how you do what you do. And I'm willing to bet that you do what you do in the summer, even though you're busier. And in the winter, because you want to remain con constant and consistent. And I'll bet if we went and looked at your stats, you probably do pretty decent business year round that you wouldn't consider it seasonal. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's things are seasonal as far as timing. Um, you know, if you really want to do well in the real estate market, you're going to really in Denver, the best time to buy is July. Um, really? Yeah. Well, so 50% of all the people that live in Denver rent. And out of those 50%, 80% of those people renew their leases in June, July, and August. So what ends up happening in July is agents are looking three months back going, oh, this house should be priced at this, but we've lost half of our buyers because they've renewed their leases. And so what ends up happening is you actually see a decrease in values in what things actually get under contract in July. I always tell my my sellers July is actually the worst month to put your house on the market. Here, this is something that's really fascinating to me just when it comes to finally getting you on the podcast and learning about your engineering background, because this is now a second really solid example of where you are taking your math and putting it to use. Half of our residents in Denver. And granted, for those of you that don't know the area, the Denver metropolitan area is huge. The Denver city limits is not in comparison, less than a million people, um, literally a quarter or less of who lives in the entire Denver metro area. But to have identified that half of those people are renters, that 80% of those are renewing leases in the summer. I mean, this is you putting that math mind to work in order to help you identify swings in the market. Absolutely. Ah, it's 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 fast. It's fantastic. I can't even begin to describe how I how enamored I am with <clears throat> the kind of forethought and the kind of number crunching that you're doing in order to help even more people from that seasonal perspective. So I get the math of it. I get the statistics of it. However, I've got to just ask from your perspective overall, has the impact of the seasonality of the real estate business dwindled because of the significant housing shortage? I mean, if if I want to sell my house in December, I'm still going to get a lot of money for it. Yeah, it's still going to sell. And it, it, it's it's interesting. There's actually um, a stat out there as far as even when you list your home. Like I'm always shocked at these people who put houses on the market on a holiday or a weekend. On average, they get about 20% less than they would have gotten if they actually listed it between 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. on Thursday. Gallup poll studies show that in the Denver metro area, more 
people are on their computers between 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. on Thursday than any other time. So, you know, there's there's not enough inventory. We're still struggling from, you know, builders not being able to build and just space. You know, you think about it, our population in America doubled from 1976 to 2000, and it continues to increase. We're at, in America, about 334 million people. Uh, so, you know, as, as populations increase, we only have so much land. And they say statistically by 2030, 98% of all people living in America will live in major metropolitan cities, and that's due to healthcare. Mm. So, you know, when you're looking at where you want to buy, what you want to do, where you want to put your money, I mean, you really need to look at where we really have a tale of two different real estate markets right now. I mean, the, the people that ended up um, being told they could work from anywhere and went to tiny little towns that you know, we're great now. Oh, wait, we, we want you to come back to the office, you know, Amazon, Tesla, I mean, all, everybody, they're like at least hybrid, at least two days a week. So we're seeing real estate markets really tumble in these smaller areas that don't have industry. And then places like Denver, it's going to continue to increase. And I think we'll see five to 6% appreciation this year. Um, and it's really just down to not having enough inventory. Hmm. I think that's probably the most conservative number I've heard, although it is closer to what would be evident of a healthy economy. So right. we'll see how that pans out. And Bibi, I warned you that we would blast through our half hour at the blink of an eye. And, and we're we here. Did. And here we are. Um, there are still so many things I want to ask you, so many things I think you would have this knowledge base of to share with our audience, with those that consume our content. And would love to have you back for another episode. I will have Jen take care of that when she is back in town. But again, thank you. Now I'm going to gush. Um, I know that carving out this kind of time on a Monday morning is not easy. So thank you. Thank you. And for our audience's benefit, how can people get a hold of you? What's the best way to find Vivi? Um, do you can call me. You can go to my website. I'm Team Vivi. It's vivi.com. Um, my phone number is 303-847-1868. You can text me, call me, get on my website, shoot me an email. I always, uh, you know, if you're a buyer, what I like to do is just buy you a cup of coffee and just see if we'd be a good fit for one another. And I have a good buyer book and we go through that. And yeah. Cool. And Adam, right. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, no, believe you me, my pleasure. And I'm going to try and do my best impersonation of Jen here, who is usually who takes us home at the end of an episode and see if I can't cover all the things that she would want to cover in our pre-extro extra. Um, use our text code. For those of you listening, it's text tips to 63566. For those of you watching that's scrolling on the bottom of your screen, that will give you information about our annual Social Media Day conference coming up next month at Metropolitan State University. And a big shout out to them and their 
social media marketing degree program. They're always a wonderful partner to have for that. You can also get information about our annual Mile High Mastermind. That one's pretty much unique to real estate agents and mortgage originators. And that is a two-day event at the end of September. There's all kinds of other content hidden in that text code or what it will reply to you with when it comes to other episodes of this show, How I Met Your Mortgage, where you can find that podcast on Apple and Spotify and Amazon. You can get access to the video blog, The Weekly Little Tip. You can get a copy of my book, Just the Tips. And I don't know what other content is in that text code. So if you feel like experimenting with it, please do, because... If I missed a bunch of things, Jen will let me know about it next week. So that's it for this week. If you want to catch us live on Facebook, LinkedIn, or YouTube, we do this at 1030 on Monday mornings. And obviously in syndication on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon podcasts. Vivi, thank you again. Wonderful to have you as a guest. And for the rest of you, we will see you next week. And you guys take care. Thanks. Bye. Bye.